Best Book Bits podcast brings you Brant Pindavik, best-selling author of The Three-Minute Rule, producer, award-winning film director, keynote speaker, top-rated podcast host, Forbes contributor, rejecter of average and overall nice guy. Brant, thanks for being on the podcast. I like that intro. I should bring you on the road with me. <laughs> no worries. Now, um, for my audience who, who don't know you, take me back to a moment of your younger days and uh, how did you get where you are now and, and whereabouts did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Canada, a small town called Victoria, British Columbia. I uh, was an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, and I had an idea for a TV show and I went and funded it myself and, and made it and I just couldn't sell it in Canada, of course because it's not the same system. And so I went down to the United States into Hollywood and I bashed around a little bit and people were very impressed with what I had put together with my own money because nobody was dumb enough to do that back then. And um, so I got I got a gig, you know, down in, in Hollywood about 20 years ago. And then the ball started to bounce my way um, once I got to America. So I ended up being a pretty successful television producer, had, had a good run. Um, but what I learned over the course of that process for the 20 years is that I, I really developed a set of skills of selling and presenting and pitching that were sort of universally applied across all businesses. And I started working with various businesses through the years, helping them get their pitches and their presentations in order. And I was just breaking it down like a TV show. So a couple of years ago, I decided to retire from the day-to-day -day of television and move into the sort of the idea of helping people with their pitch and presentations full time. And it's been a great run and the book obviously has done well. So that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. What was your uh, original idea for a TV show back 20 years ago? <laughs> it was something called the ultimate party quest and it was searching for the wildest and most fun and interesting people across the country. And so it was like survivor at a nightclub. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I know you've done a, a couple of fantastic, um, you've directed and, and produced some best known ones. So talk to me about why I'm not on Facebook. Where did you get that <laughs> idea from and what's that, what's that all about? You know, I wanted to make a movie. I wanted to direct a movie and I was kind of coming up with ideas and my 13, he was almost 13 year old, my son. And he basically said to me, he wanted to join Facebook. And I was like, absolutely not. That is terrible platform I hate facebook and he was like why and i was like i don't know and i couldn't really explain it and it, i just didn't feel like that was a good enough answer i thought oh my god this is a great documentary and so i decided to set out to prove how terrible facebook was and i picture myself like this sort of michael moore expose on the evils of facebook and the irony was is as i got into it i realized you know facebook has as many advantages as it does disadvantages and so perhaps my sort of propensity to have hatred towards it was a little bit more about me and less about Facebook itself. So it was an exploration of that sort of process of what social media means in our world and what it means to me. And it was, it was an interesting run. It, it was a, you know, it did pretty well. So that was pretty fun. That just sort of set me on the idea that okay, I could go and explore these kind of things. Yeah, got it. And we'll get into the book and pitching in a sec, but I know the the next one leading on is uh, I'm pretty sure I now I know why you actually uh, did this one why I'm not on Pokemon Go so yeah did that have, have to do with your son as well <laughs> no it was my daughter ironically is that I caught her sneaking out of the house one day uh, in the middle of the night and it wasn't to go meet her boyfriend or anything like that it was because she was walking around the neighborhood trying to hatch Pokemon Go eggs and so it had been a craze like you know that you just sort of ignored. 
And then when that happened, I was like, yeah, I can't ignore this anymore. So I decided to set out same kind of ideas. Like, okay, why do people, why are people into this thing? Like, how could anybody like this stupid game with crappy graphics? And so I just realized through the course of the film that it wasn't it really wasn't about Pokemon Go. Is that this is something that my daughter was interested in, and like for the first time in my parenting life, I could actually explore something she was interested in instead of dragging her along to things I was interested in because we had, did spend a lot of time together. It was a very active and involved parent, but it was mostly on things I wanted to do. And so this is the first time I explored that. And so the film sort of explored that. We did it as a digital short, and um, it was great. It was a great piece. It was fun. Yeah, cool. I know. I've just I've read some of your 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 filmography and all the things you've been uh, associated with directing and executive producing. What is what is Kitten Ball one, two, and three? <laughs> so, <laughs> Animal Planet did a show called The Puppy Bowl at halftime at the Super Bowl here, and it was a huge hit for years. And all it was was a fake sort of like uh, arena looking set, and they just have a bunch of puppies running around during halftime. And so Hallmark Channel reached out and they were like, we want to do cats in the kitten bowl with kittens. And I was like, I can make that happen for you. And so we designed this set in the show and and got a friend of mine, Beth Stern, involved to host it. And it was just, you know, it was just basically the puppy puppy bowl with kittens. Not the the greatest sort of creative leap I've made in my career, but uh, it was a pretty good run with that one. So you went from uh, television uh, producing, directing uh, to professional speaking. Was that yeah. the next? How did that sort of evolve from what you were doing? You know, what had, what had happened was an investment banker had sort of stumbled across me at this hotel one time. I was pitching my family. You know, we were at late night, had a few drinks. I was pitching family that was in town at the bar, and we were I was pitching them TV shows that had not been picked up by the network. Basically, saying, "Look how stupid the network is. Hear how brilliant my TV shows are." And everybody was like, oh, my God, it's the greatest show ever. Because, you know, my ego was needing that at the moment. So I was pitching all these shows. And this guy sort of overheard. And and he came up to me after. And he was like, hey, listen, can you teach my clients how to do what you do? And I was like, no. I, I, TV shows are very hard to deal with. He says, no. I want to show my clients how to pitch their ideas without putting people to sleep. And I was like, I, I have no idea. So I went and saw one of his seminars. They do these sort of investor presentations where you have a group room full of investors and companies come in and make their presentations. And I saw this oil and gas one. It was the worst thing I had ever seen in my life. And so the guy just, you know, asked me if I would come help him out. And so I said, I'd try it. So I helped redo his presentation and he left a message on my, on my phone a few weeks later, just saying, you've changed my life. I'll never forget what you've done for me. My wife thinks you put something in my drink. I'm so appreciative. You know, we completed our round. Everything in my life is better now. And I was like, oh, my God, no network president had ever said that to me ever on any of my TV shows. And like I make the joke, I'm one chromosome away from being a caveman. So my ego was like, oh, I like that. Let's get somebody else to tell me how pretty I am. And so, you know, I I started working with these companies and it went really well. And, And so then I started training companies and groups and and that just led to more presentations. And I like the public speaking stuff. And so, you know, I booked some pretty good sized gigs and that those went well. And once you, once you hit a few of those, like, you know, when you're, when you're doing a 4,000, 5,000 person sort of one of these conferences and you do, you know, you do that well, it just becomes, 
everybody wants you to come do that the next time. And I think what, what I was speaking about was so different than a lot of the motivational side of the public speaking world. You know, I wasn't telling inspirational stories um, and I wasn't telling you how to just be better, do better, be smarter, you know, believe in yourself. Like I wasn't doing that. I was like, hey, here's how you could change what you do and be more effective at communicating. And here's why. And, you know, I, I got a few interesting stories from my years in Hollywood. So I was able to mix some of that, but it just went really well. And I, and I liked it. So I started doing that a lot. Yeah, perfect. And then you condensed, uh, I guess, your, your pitching on stage into a book called uh, The Three-Minute Rule, Say yeah. Less to Get More from Any Pitch or Presentation. You're like the coach of people going on to Shark Tank. Would uh, would that sort yeah. of sum up a little bit, the three, mid, three minutes to pitch to a shark? Yes. I mean, uh, yes. In theory, yes. The irony is that just what people don't understand about Shark Tank is each one of those pitches takes about two and a half hours. And a lot of that is just people making them stand there silently so we can get a bunch of weird reactions from their face so we can edit it in. And so they just yap and yap and yap, and then we chop it down to three minutes, which is ironic. Um, because it's actually relative, you know, it's not easy to put a pitch into three minutes. It's taken me 20 years to learn how to say things in three minutes. I joke all the time, but I just, I had why put together. Why three minutes? Why, 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 why three minutes? Why not four minutes? Five minutes? Where, where's <laughs> okay. The, the, the three minutes. Excellent question. So. so the three-minute rule basically states that everything about your business product or service must be conveyed clearly, concisely, and accurately in three minutes or less. And the reason is, is that if you look at the way humans form decisions, we conceptualize the decision. We, we have to understand what it is we're talking about. We contextualize, meaning how does that work for me? And then we actualize, make decisions on what we want to do. And scientifically, if the longest... If you lead somebody with a story, that's why I use a lot of Hollywood storytelling techniques in these pitches and presentations. If you lead somebody with a story before they make their initial decision, yes or no, and I'm sure everybody listening has had this experience where someone comes to pitch you or present you something and in those first 30 seconds, 10 seconds, you already have yes or no in your mind. If you do it right, the longest you could extend that yes or no is about three minutes. That's the scientific sort of backdrop of the longest people take to make a decision. And I do this thing on stage where I have somebody come up and I make them sort of basically tell us their favorite movie in every detail. And people are surprised that a movie you've seen a hundred times, you literally can barely speak for three minutes on it. And it's because our brain processes the information. And if we can do it in bits and pieces, so what I teach people is how to lead your audience, right? With a technique called the inform and lead. We have been trained in sales and marketing and pitching and presenting to use a, an old school format called uh, the state and prove method. And basically what that is, is, you know, the old idea that if we state something you want, then you'll pay attention. And so it's like, I'm going to state, would you like to lose weight and eat anything you want? And the theory is your customer or your audience goes, oh, yes, I would. I would like that. Great. Now, let me prove to you why I have the system to do that, right? And in today's world with the marketing and the bombardment of ads and clickbait and click funnels and all the things that we've been plastered with over the years, that just doesn't work. If, you know, picture that elevator pitch if someone was in the elevator with you and said, excuse me, sir, I'm, you know, I, I have an investment idea that will make you 10 times your money by the end of the year. Would that interest you? You don't lean in and go, ooh, tell me more, right? You like recoil and be like, oh my God, this is total crap, right? And so yeah. what, I, what I 
teach people now is how to use this the inform and lead where you basically use information in its core simplicity to give people the roadmap to the conclusion that you want them to come to. And that's how we've been doing it in Hollywood for like a hundred years, right? I, I you know, take my favorite movie, The Shawshank Redemption. We don't start the movie by saying, you know, Andy Dufresne escapes from this horrifying prison. Let me tell you why. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie. But, you know, we you can watch that movie a hundred times and you still want him to escape. Because at the end of the day, like, you learn the characters, you learn the, their struggles, you learn the reasonings. You, we lead you to that moment. And that's the power of really good storytelling. And when you use a simplified method to make your story clean and clear and crisp, people are drawn to it. Yeah, you say in the book, uh, simplify, say less, get more. The key to effective pitch or presentation is to separate what you want to say from what needs to be said. Um, Hallelujah. Simplicity is power. Clarity is compelling information is value you want to talk about that that's uh, really really good that is really good i love that <laughs> it's funny because um even when i wrote that I, I had no idea how how fast things were changing right it's even more now than than ever and one of the things i get a lot is i get companies coming to ask if i can train their sales forces to be more confident and I say, well, of course I can't do that. Nobody can teach you confidence. That's not how that works. You can teach someone how to pretend to be confident. You can teach someone how to have the mannerisms of somebody who's confident, but that is phony and people pick up on that and they, people don't like that. And the truth is, at its core, confidence comes from the value you believe you are bringing to others. And so I use this example. If, if I was gonna be, if you were getting married, and you and your bride were interviewing the caterers, and I really wanted to be your caterer. And we were going to be talking about what the chef that was going to be there that night to serve the food. If the chef I had was Gordon Ramsay, how many words would I need to sell you and your bride that, right? I'd use four words. I have Gordon Ramsay. And that's it. And I'd be supremely confident, obviously. I wouldn't spend 15 minutes trying to explain to you who Gordon Ramsay is or, or his Michelin stars or any of that stuff, right? Like, I'd be so excited. Conversely, if I didn't have Gordon Ramsay, if my chef was my brother-in-law who's an ex-convict who doesn't cook but really mean and demanding that I find him a job, how many words would I need to sell you that idea, right? I would be there telling you how the cook isn't really the most important thing, that the, it's the ambience of the way. Like, I would be trying to sell you that. And what people instinctively know is you can sense that, you know, when someone's selling you, no one wants to be sold. And so there's a chart that I use on stage. That is the number of words you use inversely proportionally shows how confident you are. It's, there's a scale between how confident you are in your picture presentation. And it's somewhere between my convict brother-in-law and Gordon Ramsay in value. And the more words you use, the more you're conveying to your audience how little value you believe you're bringing. So the more you talk, the more you explain, the more you sell, the more you try to convince your audience, the less they will believe you because they will sense a lack of confidence and they will felt, feel sold. And so the three-minute rule, yeah. you know, while it's amazing in structure on how to put your pitch together, the benefits of being more confident and having 
more success and having people more drawn to your pitch is sort of exponentially drives where we're at. It's been, it's been incredible to see that and to see people get so much more confidence and more sort of power when they're pitching because they're using less. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get into the, the breakdown of the three minute uh, pitch, but the, I want to talk first about the two misconceptions of the three minute presentation. I'll give you number one and misconception. Number one is the presentation needs flair. Okay. Yeah. Can you remember what misconception number two is? Um, needs flair and that my business is super complicated and I need to explain it all. Is yeah, that it? correct. That's right. It's amazing. Yeah, talk about that. Because um, that is the – I would say that's probably the number one thing I encounter most times is that people are like, yeah, 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 I get it, but my business is very complicated. I have a lot of different things going on. And, you know, I deal with a lot of biotech companies and life sciences – and the science guys are always like, yeah, but this is genome therapy, uh, you know, anti-rejection type one diabetes drugs. Like, this is a huge issue, you know, it's very complicated. And the truth is, is that it's in those situations, it's actually the other way around. And I actually have better luck and more response from the companies that I work with that are incredibly complicated because they don't realize how the simplification makes us such a huge difference. And I, and I use this example. I have a friend and a, and a client who's an incredibly wealthy individual and they run the largest hedge fund dedicated to human longevity. So basically everything they invest in billions of dollars is in companies that are specializing in extending human life, mostly through pharmaceuticals and therapeutics. And that's it. That's all they do. And so I happen to see a ton of starter companies and new pitches coming around. So when I send something to Greg, I literally can't get him to open the email unless I summarize it in about two sentences. And that's it. You know, it's like, uh, this is a, you know, uh, an algorithm platform that searches for previous cancer, um, treatments and uses artificial intelligence to cross-reference like Right. Whereas if you heard that company try to explain what they do, it would take them nine minutes. Right. But yeah. because Greg is one of the top scientists in the world and the most knowledgeable and he's an act, he's a doctor and like, he, you know, he's the smartest person I know. So I can't, I don't have to make it complicated for him because he's so smart. It's the other way around. I have to give him just the absolute core. And then he's like, okay, I know what it is. Let me see if I'm going to read more. Right. And it's the same thing in your business. It's the same thing in anybody's business. If your business has complications, that is a clear indication. You need to actually go the other way around. The simpler you make it, the more effective it will be. Because if it is complicated, it means that people will tune out because they can't process all that information at once. So it's not the way people work. They need to get the yeah, concept. I've, 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 correct. I've heard it said a confused mind says no. People want... People want it straight, straightforward, summarized, and sort yeah. of no bullshit. People don't really have time these days. Short on time. Um, yeah. So I'll give you the three. I know you've, you wrote the book, but I'll just summarize to my audience the three-minute uh, sort of pitch, which is conceptualize, contextualize, and actualize. So the first uh, 90 seconds is conceptualize, explain what it is and how it works. And then after that, the next 60 seconds is contextualize. So we engage and verify details, 
and the last 30 seconds is you want to actualize. So you want to encourage the buy-in or opt-out. So how important is the last part of getting people to actually actualize your concept and, and contextualize that in their head? Well, you may be surprised to learn that it's not all that important. Because, you know, we've focused a lot on like overcoming objections and and the clothes. And it's like, guess what? People know that those tactics and they don't like them. And what people like is someone who basically just lays it out clear and crisp and clean. And, and the conclusion should be obvious. You know, your audience should be interested and, and in a place of engagement. And that's what I train people to do in the book is like how to get your information in a place where they want to ask questions. How do you get your pitch in a, in a three minutes so that they basically engage with you? Because I talk a lot about that in the book is the objective of your presentation is not to get someone to sign on the dotted line. If that's the objective of your presentation, you are buggered because that's not the way people work, right? Like the objective of your presentation, the pitch should be to get them to engage with you, to ask meaningful questions, to understand the process enough to want to see if it works for them or how it works, right? And so yeah. if you focus on that, then you'll have people that you're engaging with and, and the, the closing, the actualization, when can I order it? How do we start? All that stuff becomes a natural process. And it's not part of the sales pitch as much as it is part of like, I've informed you, I've led you to the conclusion. Now, what do you want to do with it? And, you know, I worked with a, a company that does a lot of timeshares which is a very difficult sales business, you know, because you're dealing with traditionally an industry that's kind of, you know, hid the, hid the, the fine print and tries to get you to buy on emotion, right? Get you all swept up and then you sign on the dotted line. And, and what we worked on a lot is like, Hey, it, if you could get the unqualified people, the people that are never going to buy this out of your offices faster, you'd get to the people who actually would benefit from the timeshare structure, you know, easier and it would increase your hit rate, right? And that, that's basically what we ended up doing is shortening these scripts and making it very clear where the value was. And their, their hit rate went from about 18% to like 68% in the course of less than a year. And it's because they weren't going through this entire process and then at the very end saying, and it only costs $12,000 after a 45-minute presentation. or an, I mean, I went through one that was 90 minutes before they told you what the price was. I mean, who would buy like that today, right? And I was saying, like, I wanted to know the price about five minutes in. And I had to wait another 85 minutes before you told me because all you, you wanted to build value, build value. And it was just like, yeah, maybe in 1974 that worked. Like, I don't know, get a time machine. But in the real world, it was just like, here's the way our system works. The condominium process. Here's, you buy. here's the value. Here's what it costs. Here's why we save you money. Is this something you'd be interested in? Like it was such, it was, it was easy and it was terrifyingly hard at the same time because they were a very entrenched group. Yeah, got it, got it. Now, I like this little thing in your book called the, uh, what is the fire alarm test? The fire alarm test. I mean, it, here, it's a little bit of a shocking one um, because it, it, it helps people really understand. I used to do this to clients all the time. I would just stop them in the middle. Imagine if you were in a pitcher presentation and, you know, three minutes in, the fire alarm went off and everybody had to leave the building. And it was just a drill. But And then they say, yeah, all clear, come on in. And is your audience, is your, the person you're pitching to, are they going to want to come back in? 
Uh, what if we didn't go back to the office? Would they have enough information to make a decision, right? And the truth is that actually happened to me in a pitch in MTV. I had the president of the network in MTV for this pitch. I was so excited and it was going well. And about, I don't know what it was, two or three minutes into the pitch, fire alarm went off. We all had to go out to the parking lot. Then they come in, all clear. We go back and he doesn't come back into the room. He's like, yeah, I got something else to do. I've already heard enough. Not interested in hearing more. And I was like, Damn. Like, that's the world we live in, right? So fire alarm test is where you basically stop your pitch and presentation right now in three minutes, at two minutes, at one minute. If someone just heard one minute, would they be interested in, in hearing more? If you could only tweet your idea to somebody, that's it. If your entire pitch had to be tweeted, 140 characters, would they want to pick up the phone when you called, right? And if you can't get your pitch into that mode, you are fighting uphill. If you need to weave a complicated tale just to get someone to understand what it is you do, you are you are struggling right now, as I've met hundreds and probably thousands now that go through that. Yeah, well, look at, look at online these days. I mean, you just have to check your spam inbox in email and you make a decision within sort of one second whether to delete or read. YouTube ads, you've got, you know, six seconds to make a decision if you want to skip it. Yeah. Uh, Instagram stories, you might have a couple of seconds until you swipe right. So we're trained even more. very, very quick. But all, yeah. Even yeah, even like more. think about so, LinkedIn. I mean, do you have much? Yeah. Like think okay, about LinkedIn, yeah. right? Like how many of those messages do you get from someone? Like basically it's a sales platform now, right? How many of those do you read? Yeah. Like in the first few seconds, as soon as someone you realize this is somebody trying to sell me something, you're like, click, delete. Like that's the world that we live in today. So imagine being someone who needs to sell something. It's like they, the, the, the world has created a sophisticated audience that just does not have time for you. They do not want your tricks. They do not want your neuro-linguistic programming. They do not want any of that stuff. It's like you're selling something. Oh, great. Just tell me what it is, how it works, and how much it is, and I'll make a decision. Go away. Like effectively, that's the audience you are fighting. In, correct. It's turning into a red ocean. I mean, that's that's yeah. online and and what you do with with the offline stuff as well. Um, I know you do some coaching with with C level executives as well. Are you still doing that? And um, yeah, so I find that um, a lot of those execs at the high levels are looking for ways to convey the value of their business or product or service. They, they understand it so well, they know it. And the real friction is getting their customer or their audience to understand it as well as they do, to see the potential, to see the value. And if you can make your audience see the value of what you are pitching or presenting the same way you do, well, they kind of have to be interested, right? And so that really is the yeah. only goal, is how do you translate your knowledge into someone else's understanding? Because if they understand it, then they will try to find a way to make it work for them. Yeah, yeah, perfect. What are you sort of currently working on at the moment? Is there another book or a TV show? Or what, what have you got your sort of fingers in which pies at the moment? You know, I, I've been doing a lot of, I did a lot of training for teachers to how to do better online presentations to, you know, cause of the COVID it was very hard on kids. So I worked on that. I do quite a bit of charity stuff now. Um, 
because I found like for the last couple of years, you know, it was, it was fun chasing big clients and, you know, big, basically I, I always say I was chasing logos, right? Like I wanted big fancy logos from high level companies on my website kind of stuff. And then, you know, you, you, you do that and that's great. And then I found like what I wasn't doing a lot of is startups and small businesses and, you know, niche entrepreneurs that I actually kind of really enjoyed helping and making a difference in people's lives. So I really enjoyed that. And then for the most part, you know, I'm, I'm making a new movie right now, traveling across America for six months to all 48 States meeting people. And, and so I'm in the middle of that. And I just, I look for really interesting clients and people who really need what I do. And, and I, I like the companies that if they could explain it to people, it would change what they do. I do get a lot of requests for companies that just want to be, you know, 3% better, 6% sales increase. And it's kind of like, eh, that doesn't really excite me. Or I do get quite a few of companies that have really terrible products and want a way to trick people into buying them. And it's like, yeah, that's not, I'm not interested in that. So I'm kind of looking for those diamonds in the rough that are like, oh man, I understand why people don't know what you do because your pitch is terrible. But man, once if we get the pitch right, people will totally get this. That's very exciting for me. Yeah, got it. There's a quote out there that says it's not the best known that, uh, sorry, it's not the best product that wins. It's the best known. So yeah. sometimes you've got to have a bit of both. You've got to be known and you've got to be good as well. Um, yeah. And I find that with public companies are like that. Known. I, I love the small cap yeah. public companies. You know, it, it, and this is the thing. There's thousands of public companies out there and the average person knows about 46 of them, you know? And so same with investors. They just don't know these companies. And so I find a lot of these public companies with these great products and amazing businesses, but no one's ever heard of them. And I can literally redesign their entire structure of how they pitch and present their company and their idea and who they are. And it's like the, the result of that is so fast and so exciting and visceral because when people know about it, the stock price goes up and people get involved and all they do is tell a better story. It's amazing. It's an amazing process. I love those small cap public companies. Yeah. It's the, their success is your success as well. And being involved in, in those companies as well. But yeah, uh, Look, I'm going to ask you, sort of wrap up the, the interview and ask you one little last question I ask my audience. Um, now, if you were to host a dinner party with uh, three people from the past, that they, they could be dead or alive, but famous, who would they be and what would you serve them? All people who are from the past or three dead or alive? from the past, okay, dead or alive or famous, who would they okay. be and what would you serve them? Uh, well, I mean... <laughs> I would have to go with Steve Jobs, so I was a big fan. Yeah. I would have to go with Yul Brenner, my favorite actor of all time. And I think I'd have to go with like my grandpa, as weird as that is, but like, you know, he died when I was thirteen and I was a dickhead when I was thirteen and I never got to spend enough time with him. So that's when like one of the regrets of my life is like, oh, didn't have the time. So there are the three people. And I make I do I don't know if, if you guys, the Benny, but I do like a teppanyaki grill. Like I don't cook very well, but I do one thing really well is I have a teppanyaki grill, like a Benny Hanus, And I do an amazing show with that, with a throw in the shrimp and the onion volcano and the whole thing. So I'd have to do that. That would, that would be a good TV show to, uh, yeah. to watch you do that. No, yes, it would. Perfect. That would, that would be a, that'd be a good dinner. Now for my audience, uh, where could they find you online and where can they purchase the book as well? The three minute uh, I'm pretty easy to find at three minute rule.com. 
um, or brantpinvidic.com, either one like that. Books on, available pretty well everywhere on Amazon or, or any of the big book retailers and whatnot. And my website, you can get autographed copies and whatnot. So yeah, I think it's, you know, it's been, it, the book's done really well. It's been great. I'm, I'm really been happy how many people it's sort of helped just change the course of, of their lives through finding more success in business. That's kind of cool. Yeah, great. And what would be the last message you would leave my audience and maybe just a tip or a message? Yeah. I say like, I promise you, if you use the system, you will get to say everything you want, just not all at once and in the first three minutes. And that is the hardest thing for people is to cut out the fluff because they want to say everything. It's the things in their presentation are so important to them. And they like, if I don't say this now, I won't get to say it. And I promise you from doing this hundreds and thousands of clients, you will get to say everything that you want and all the cool phrases and all the cool facts and figures you have. I promise you'll be able to get to those. But if you don't learn how to separate your information into what needs to be said in order, you those things that you love so much that you want to talk about, no one will hear them. Yeah, great. Yeah, perfect. Sounds good. Well, Brent, thanks for being a, a guest on the Best Book Bits podcast. To my audience, go follow this man, buy his book, The Three-Minute Rule. Brent, have a great day, and thanks for being on the show. Carry on, brother. No worries. Thanks so much. Have a great day.